Welcome back to another one of our top all-time rankings. We are rounding out the power forwards, trying to extend this list from 25 to 50 today. That is our goal. We will see if we get there. I went way beyond this. I've got 77 on my board. Aaron, how many guys did you end up looking at? I went down to 77 too. Uh, towards the end, I just started kind of throwing them in a pile at the end of that, at the end, end of the 70s. Did you take anyone and you're like, listen, if you're worse than this guy, I'm not, I'm not even looking at you anymore. We're just, we're done. That was the Juwan Howard line for me. It's just, all right, you're in the Juwan Howard group. Let's, let's move on. I was going to say, I should have set my bar there. I set my bar as Christian Leitner. I was like, all right, if you're worse than Christian Leitner, we, we don't need to have this discussion today. And Juwan Howard was one guy better than Christian Leitner in my rankings. I was like, oh. That's basically where I ended up. I had Leitner 74th and Howard 72nd. Originally, it actually was the Leitner line, but ended up being, Leitner only has three people below him. It's not like uh, that mattered all too much. I was going down the the list of power forwards that I had uh, in alphabetical order, so I could break free from the Matrix and like I'll cross compare it with the Matrix afterwards, but let me take the next chunk, the next 50 guys in the Matrix, put them in alphabetical, look at them one by one, and then and rank them that way. So Christian was the easy, oh yeah. If anyone's worse than this guy after even just a cursory look, we're not we're not investigating. But for those of you who didn't just listen to the podcast that we put out months ago, our power forward listing, we did make the bold decision to not include Tim Duncan. It's been a controversial one, maybe a little bit of regrets there or on, on my part, but he transcends power forwards. He doesn't have the flaws. We can't put him in the power forward category. He played more of his time at center. He's a center. We did kick things off with Carl Malone, Dirk Nowitzki, Giannis Adenokounmpo, Kevin Garnett, Bob Pettit, Charles Barkley, Dolph Shays, Elvin Hayes, Anthony Davis, Chris Webber rounds out the top 10, then George McGinnis, Paul Gasol, Kevin McHale, Amari Stoudemire, Blake Griffin, Jerry Lucas, Tommy Heinsohn, Chris Bosh, Sean Kemp, LaMarcus Aldridge, Bailey Howell, Kevin Love, Draymond Green, Vern Mickelson, and Maurice Lucas. Still feeling confident and good about those guys? I feel great, and I, I still feel good about Duncan being off this list. It's not something like that is worth an argument in terms of which list he should be on, but I think I'm comfortable giving him a out of this list. He just controlled the paint, played more center, defended the rim better. These guys, they a lot of these guys on this list needed a center next to them to be effective, and Duncan didn't have that problem. Yeah, I just don't like starting off the list with Carl Malone. Yeah, that always hurts. Um, but sometimes sacrifices have to be made. Do you want to get us started at number? 26 or would you like me to do the honors we can uh, actually keep track and go back and forth this time uh you can you can do the honors first because i feel yeah, like i sure. already tipped my hand you did tip your hand last the last podcast and i'm close i'm close to joining you but i think at this point when the way we've done this we did this last time the small forwards we started out with jim pollard i think you get to the point here where you finish out the great second options and then you kind of reset and you look at the 50s again and I, I'm looking at Harry Gallatin, a seven-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA, 6-6 power four for the Knicks. He takes him to three straight finals in the early 50s. They lose all of them. But he still has that, and that was enough for me to put him on this list. I don't love it. Don't love it. Totally fine. But I felt like in terms of, all right, is it a weird era to take your team to the finals? Yeah. But did he still do it three times? He did. He did do it three times. Well, I feel like my pushback is that I'm not entirely sure that he took them there. Well, he is at the. I mean, he is the best rebounder on that team, and usually number one or two in scoring. He's the all star on the team, anyways. Um, yeah, I mean, when you're talking about number one or two in scoring, you were talking about like 
10 points. It's the, it, Nate, it's the 50s. <laughs> it's the 50s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're, they're averaging 85 points a game as a team. It's like super, it's all super spread out. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those, those 10 points a game, I mean, that's super, I mean, it's important. Uh, I just, when I look at that team and kind of my, my knowledge of history, Max Zlovsky, mm-hmm. higher. If we look at that 51 finals, yeah. Harry's 10 and 10, 10 points, 10 boards. Max is 19 points. So yeah. I know it's it's the seven game finals over the course of the season. Harry's up there leading them in points, but I, I kind of view him as the third guy and maybe even maybe even kind of the fourth guy uh, with Sweetwater Clifton there. Maybe. So that that would just be my take is that I don't actually see him as taking the team there. And it is a little bit hard to kind of read between all of the lines. And that is just that's the 51 finals, 52 finals. He's fifth in scoring. Quite clearly, the fourth guy between Connie Simmons, Max Zlovsky, and Sweetwater Clifton. That hurt my feelings, like they say. Well, maybe that's why they lost, because he dropped off. But hey, on the way there, it's really important. Yeah. I, I, okay. I mean, I'm curious to hear what you're saying, because I don't think we're going to see many other people or anyone else heading down this list that have that kind of, any, even a little contribution to championship teams. Unless it's Dennis Rodman, which we'll probably talk about pretty soon. Yeah, Rodman's going to be up sooner rather than later. Uh, my my first guy is Joe Folks, mm-hmm. um, the four-time All-NBA, All-BAA player, uh, only two-time All-Star because of, they didn't invent the All-Star game till later in his career. You know, he would have gotten the first finals MVP. He's quite clearly the best player. He also has a little bit of, James Harden in himself, where like defense is just something he does to pass the time till he can shoot again. It's amazing reading the quotes uh, on this guy uh, because old heads will always be old heads to like whatever generation they come comes after them. You got like the twenties players that are all like, "We played team ball. We all played defense." <laughs> and this guy just wants to shoot. It's you could you could take these quotes and apply them to any player, like any eighties player watching today's game. Um, it, it's really funny to here 20s guys but boston celtics coach uh, honey russell who's part of the original the new york celtics in the 20s had this to say of folks and he's like folks is slow he's not a great defensive player uh, and how can be a great pl- team player when he takes so many shots but i wish i had him i would build my whole team around him <laughs> for context folks is a 6-5 power forward averaged 16 points a game for his career took 19 shots a game on average in his prime, he's taken 26, 29, 28 shots a game, two scoring titles, true shooting of 36%. So it really is a product of that, of just an era of kind of lawless basketball. It really is early basketball. People are still kind of figuring it out. But you know what? It was effective. Championship in, in 1947. I'm, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with this. Yeah. Got one more quote, and it's great. It's great to read this about 1947 basketball. It's by Joe Lepchek, Lepchek uh, the Knicks coach. He is, he's like a superstar of 20s basketball. And I, I'm going to just read it in the voice that I picture him saying it in. In the bygone days, professional basketball looked for good defensive players. Today's game, they don't care about defensive basketball. If a boy can hit a bucket with regularity from anywhere on the floor, they'll grab him. It's just bas- that's just ex- that's exactly what basketball has become today. The same thing. That's perfect. And in the same interview, he's like, damn, I wish I had Joe Folks on my team. <laughs> you wish. We good with locking him in at 26? Yeah, I'm good. I thought I could convince you, but you had like your facts and numbers and whatnot to ruin my ruin my plans. <laughs> I tried. I guess the next guy off my board that I would nominate, because I got Harry down at 37. Um, okay, we, we can, might we be can able wait to a little bit. We can wait a little bit. I'm okay with that. Uh, the next guy I got up 
it is Larry Johnson. How do you feel about good old Larry? Whoa. Oh my God. I have Larry Johnson at 49. What are you seeing? I'm seeing a five-year peak, which Larry Johnson, 92 to 2001, Charlotte, Pitt Hornets, New York Knicks. Five-year peak in Charlotte where he's averaging 20 points, nine rebounds, four assists, two-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA. He's a bruising physical power forward. Jeff Van Gundy says, Larry's the embodiment of everything I believe in, hard work, and playing at your best when the best is needed. He's a playoff riser. He's the muscle and strength next to Patrick Ewing when he gets to the Knicks. I really appreciate what he did. I feel like you can see him being the one or being the two or being the three. He like hits all three levels of this really well. He's super portable into almost any team in that era. That's such a that's such a deviation, but I feel like I see what you're saying. That's so far off from where I had him. I just I guess I looked at he makes it two NBA teams, two all time all star, ends up getting hurt. I mean he's done by thirty one. He's done being that I see that five year peak, it's just for the Hornets. Man. The issue is this group is just such a disaster. It's really tight knit. And like <laughs> if you if you wanted to flip him for Harry all the way back to thirty seven, I wouldn't I mean, I'll fight, but it's Yeah. It's a disaster log. Um, and even just looking at this with fresh eyes from when I made the list, I'm like, well, maybe I want to slide him back behind the next couple of guys on my thing. But an interesting note about Larry Johnson is that in October of 93, he signs the richest deal in NBA history. Do you want to guess what that contract was? Or do you have that in your notes? I don't have that in my notes. This is the richest contract at this point. It is 12 years long. Do you want to guess how many million over the next 12 years? Is it 80? 84. Oh, okay. good guess. Because I knew he wasn't the, the first $100 million guy. I feel like I would know that I'm a little bit under. Yeah. Like, that's just the potential before he got hurt. Yeah. Hurts his, he hurts his, uh, his back. And you can actually, yeah. interesting enough, you see him start to take threes. Because, yeah, he wasn't uh, down low as much anymore due to that uh, that back injury. Let me offer one other guy. Okay. Next guy I had was uh, was Marie Stokes. Hmm. Now, Stokes plays three seasons. Three-time All-Star, three-time second-team All-NBA. Key of the year. 7th, 6th, and 5th in MVP voting for what that's worth. I think that's worth something, given that the team was bad. Team wasn't mm-hmm. very good. I think if you're sneaking in some MVP votes while you're also like not making the playoffs, I think that's worth something. You're not just a product of a good team, in a sense. Those are the Draymond MVP votes. Like, oh, should Draymond be an MVP? Yeah, throw him a 5th place vote. I think it's much more than that. I think Stokes is legitimately good. I think that's what I'm, ta- that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. He leads the league in rebounding as a rookie in 1956. Averages 16 and a half points, 17 boards. And then in, that, in, that, in a game in 19, um, I think 1958, the end of the season, if I remember correctly, he falls uh, and hits his head. And he finishes that game and ends up having, a, I believe, a stroke or just a brain bleed, essentially. Yeah. He is the uh, the namesake of the Twyman and Stokes Award, like the best teammate award, because his teammate, Jack Twyman, ends up taking care of him until he passes, I believe. He's on his way to being great. So we're talking 1956 to 58. He's three-time All-NBA third team, or sorry, uh, three-time All-NBA and three-time All-Star. He is top 10 to 15 in points per game those three seasons. You know, it's, it's 50s basketball. There's like eight teams, so that's not crazy impressive. But he's first, second, second in rebounds per game, and he is eighth, third, and third in assists per game. He leads the NBA in triple doubles at the power forward position. Bob Cousy says he's Carl Malone with more finesse, the first great athletic power forward. It's a very short window, which I, I have him further down um, just because of the, the huge brevity. Because um, I'm trying to think, does he get hurt at the end of the season or is it more in the middle? It, look, he plays 63 games in the 58th season. I also did forget to mention his 5.3 assists. 
Yeah. Over the course of his career, way up there in assists. Yeah. Which this also, you know, just the era of assists for our listeners, you had to catch and immediately shoot. If you were catching on cutting and like took a couple of steps for a layup, doesn't count as an assist. If you catch, do the dribble and reset, doesn't count as an assist. Assists in the 50s were so hard to come by. Uh, that's that's why you don't see people average 10 assists. Bob Cousy is the runaway assist leader with 7.5. Totally different game in terms of in terms of counting stats. He's eighth, third, and then third in assists per game. He's the best rebounder, and he's the, one of the best passers. That's insanity. I think we could flip him and Folks. Talk myself into it. You want him over Folks? Nah, it's okay. We, we can put him at 28. But how do you how do you feel about that 28 spot? Well, I'm actually a little bit tempted to go with Dennis Rodman, just the conventional wisdom. Plus, just looking back at how we ended our power forwards for our top 100 lists, the top 25, we were running down the list of, of secondary bigs. And I guess I would call Rodman more of a tertiary big, but... He's my next guy. Can we do Stokes and then Rodman? I'll, I'll take Stokes. I did have Stokes behind Harry Egalit. That's in. My, my impressive argument swayed right. you. <laughs> A huge what if, and I know it's not possible given drafts and whatnot, but Oscar Robertson comes in the league for the Royals in 1961, so Stokes has gone two years before that. That's what Oscar, like, Oscar needed that. Oh. That's what he's missing. I mean, I know Jerry Lucas is close to that, but if he had both of them, this the Royals just weren't able to battle with the centers at the time. They didn't have that ability to get up there with Russell and Wilt. And had they just had one more super physical power forward, one more big dude, I, I think that 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 sets the Royals up for something fantastic. Absolutely. I mean, if you're talking about a Carl Malone level type athlete, someone with that much flair, and you put him with a dynamic ball handling point guard, because the, the Royals were not a good team. And they, it's not like when you dig into NBA history, they had other guys. It's, it's kind of just Stokes there. I mean, Twyman is fine jack coleman like like he's not making the playoffs and he's not playing with good players all right we got folks at 26 we got stokes at 27 do you want to go with conventional wisdom and go with dennis rodden here at 28 or are there more players that you just feel like are better players i think this is the right time for rodman this is where i had him okay if you're listening to this you know who dennis rodman is but just for context Rodman played in the 80s and 90s for the Pistons and the Bulls, also for the San Antonio Spurs for a brief stint. He is a five-time champion, but he doesn't play as much. He is, he is on five championship teams. He is never the driving force. He is, at best, usually the the third force. Um, and when he's your second best guy, usually there's trouble. There's There's a lot of problems. I think there. people tend to look at the championship teams he's on and see him as like the second most famous guy or the third most famous guy. And they're like, oh, mm -hmm. like, these guys in Rodman when Rodman was doing something similar to like was basically equal to Bill Lambeer, the Pistons. Um, he is an awesome third guy for the Bulls in those three championships. But I would love to be the third guy behind Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. That sounds like a great job to have. Mm -hmm. But in terms of what he is good at, we have you have seven straight rebounding titles. You have one of the best defensive players of all time. 13.1 rebounds a game at just 6-7. Two defensive player of the year awards. I did the numbers on his rebounding titles. He is not just winning these rebounding titles. He is demolishing these rebounding titles. He is winning them by like three and a half rebounds over those seven time winning titles. I don't know how to pronounce that. Yeah, he wins them by three and a half. Um, the most 
is he beats out Dikembe Mutombo in 97 by four and a half rebounds. That is the gap between him and the second best rebounder in the league. I can't find this quote now, and I should have tried to find it beforehand, but our complaint with Dennis Rodman is he's not involved offensively. And if he is able to play championship defense, it's because other players are going to take him there for him to do it. I talked about this on my TikTok page in terms of Draymond Green and Lamarcus Aldridge. Players that can scale their game down are, are most people. It is It is very obvious and a huge flaw in a player's game if they cannot be a first option and become a second option. That's Russell Westbrook. That's Allen Iverson. But a player that can't scale their game up from being the fourth guy, being the third guy, to the second guy, to the first guy, really has a hard cap on how good they can be. And it tells you how good they are. You're exactly right. And it says how good you are. One of the things that I like looking at is he's not an all-star. He's a bench player when they win their when he wins his first title in 89 with the Pistons. He's coming off the bench in that finals. He's playing 24 minutes, 5 points, 10 rebounds. The next year, in 1990, he wins or he's elected to be an all-star. I think he wins Depoy. Don't have that up in front of me right now. But he gets to the finals. And I should say Eastern Conference finals. He's playing 32 minutes a night. Nine points, nine rebounds, nine almost ten rebounds. Gets to the finals, and his minutes drop to twenty minutes a game. Two points, five rebounds. There is no magical salve that makes his rebounding that much more impressive. That it's that five rebounds is is anything more. And I do believe he gets hurt when he misses a game, and I think he plays less. But the guy is playing nineteen minutes a game. That is not truly. That does not make or break your final season. Now in '96, yeah, that. That finals is an awesome finals from him. He's playing almost 38 minutes. He's getting like 15 rebounds a night. Um, But that's like the one finals where you could really look at it and say, if you took Dennis Rodman and replaced him with another top power forward, you replace him with an Oakley or a Horace Grant, you're probably losing in 96. You need Rodman in 96. But on all of his other teams, if you replaced him with Oakley or Grant or Kevin Willis, someone else of that era, Antonio Davis... All of these teams probably have the same level of success. He's just in the right place. And we say this stuff not because we hate Dennis Rodman, but I think we do have to make the argument against him because conventional ranking does have him way higher, but the way we do things is a little bit different. We want to explain that. We're not Dennis Rodman haters per se. No. But in that 1992 season for Rodman, he averages 18.7 boards a game, the highest in his career. Second in the league in rebounds was Kevin Willis, who averaged 15.5. And Kevin Willis kind of publicly was like, that's bullshit. I have to play offense too, because he averaged 18 points a game and was trying to get the Hawks to the, the playoffs, and Rodman got to average 9.8 points per game. That's kind of what we're trying to say here. Not saying that, in a sense, like, you'd probably take Kevin Willis that year over Rodman. Like, there's, there's, a, there's an argument, and there should be an argument for that. He's, he is just rebounding at a ridiculous rate, but he's also responsible for doing stuff on offense. He's, he's doing both. Yeah. And now I will say, we sent each other our lists of the guys that we wanted to have in this. And we had like, we each had the same 20 guys and we had five different each. And one of the guys I did not have, and you had on yours when we talked about this like a couple weeks ago was Kevin Wills. Kevin Wills couldn't block a shot worth a damn. The guy was seven (laughs) foot and just one of the most passive defenders. There's a big difference between these two guys. On the defensive end. Yeah. one One of those differences is also Kevin Wills played offense. They are. The rebounds are the similarity. The one played offense, the other played defense. Willis ended up falling out of my top out of my top fifty. He was right on the edge, and I and I, I was like, yeah, 
I shouldn't get. I, I looked at I, a few things. Was okay. He plays forever, like fourteen hundred games. That's really cool. That's worth something. Um, but in terms of just his actual peak for Atlanta, it, it's not great. It's not fantastic. He's pretty good. He has a stretch from I guess we'll go eighty-seven to ninety-five. He's he's putting up fifteen points and ten boards, and that's pretty good. But it's nothing to nothing to write home about. Those Hawks teams aren't aren't great, anyways. Yeah. All right. So if we put in Dennis Rodman at twenty-eight. I had put Larry Johnson on the board. You had put Harry Gallatin on the board. Who are, give me the next two names on your list behind Harry. Um, I just want to see if we've got any overlap. Tom Chambers and Elton Brand. Okay. I had Tom Chambers and Gus Johnson. Okay. I had Gus Johnson just, just a few spots back, 35. So Tom Chambers. Do you want to do the Tom Ca- Chambers case or should I? Go ahead, please. So Tom Chambers, San Diego Charger, Seattle Supersonic, Phoenix Suns, four-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA second team. Charger? San Diego Clippers. You know, you see SDC. (laughs) He's a multi-sport athlete. He's the greatest athlete of all time. (laughs) Yeah, you know, you got to do something in the NBA offseason. Back in these days, you either were a plumber in the offseason or you played for the Chargers. Basically the same thing. Basically. Four-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA second team, the winner of the 97 All-Star MVP. I know that matters to next to no one, but I do like it. Um, from 84 to 91, so a seven-year span, he's 22 points per game, like seven rebounds and two and a half assists. Chambers gets up to 27 points a night in 1990, 25 points a night for 89. Those are good teams, too. Those teams are making conference finals, both of them. Yeah. Uh, in Phoenix, he is on four 50-win teams as kind of arguably the second-best player behind Kevin Johnson. Yeah. yeah. There might be a case to say he's better. It's it's, it's there, but I I think it's a 1A, 1B, or 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Also, great longevity. We're talking uh, 1,000 career games or 1,100 career games and some pretty strong playoff performances. In 1990, as the second-best player behind Johnson, he gets... Phoenix to the Western Conference Finals averages 25 points, eight rebounds. They do ultimately lose because he has two really bad games. He's really bad in game five and six, but they're in it because he's good in games one through four. And he dunked on, who did he dunk on? Everyone. It was called the torture chamber. Is that Mark Jackson? He dunked on Mark Jackson. He put his like his, his knee on his shoulder and just used him to, it was Mark Jackson. He just, he jumped basically over Mark Jackson. So he helps the Sonics make the conference finals in 87, where they get swept by the Lakers. Uh, but to do that, he has a really nice closeout, well, great closeout game six, and a really good game four as well to beat Houston uh, and eliminate the former Western Conference champions, the Houston Rockets, Hakeem Olajuwon. He goes for 38 and eight in game four and 37 and eight in game six. I like it. I think, yeah, I think I like Tom Chambers, I think Tom Chambers can be here. Maybe. Can I give my Elton Brand speech? I love Elton Brand, so it might be best if you didn't because I'm, I'm, I'm very it. susceptible to Elton Starting Brand. Starting the Elton Brand speech. I don't care about anything except for 2006. 2006, he averages 25 points, 10 boards, 2.6 assists. Takes the Clippers to 47 wins, which if you know anything about the Clippers, that's really hard to do. I don't think the Clippers had won, even made the playoffs since Danny Manning prior to that, which we'll probably talk about later. In the playoffs, beats Denver. The Clippers win a playoff series. And he is the best player on that team. The first round isn't fantastic. 18 points, 10 boards, 3.6 assists. But the second round series against Steve Nash's Suns, 2006 Suns, 45 minutes a game, 31 points, 10 boards, 4.3 assists on 59% shooting. I think that's as good as anyone we've talked about has ever been. 
right there. I think that's enough. Rodman's not doing that. Tom Chambers comes close to that. Everyone below him hasn't done that. I think this is a good spot for Brand. They almost, I mean, they almost beat the, that that goes to seven games. That's a seven game series. I love Elton Brand in part because I think he is incredibly miscast and misunderstood. Um, If you ever get a chance to pick up the mid-range theory by Seth Partnow, he has like a great kind of chapter about Elton Brand being worse than we all think. Um, it's very disparaging of Elton Brand uh, because Elton Brand is a below-the-rim scorer and how he can't do it in the playoffs And versus someone like Lamar Odom who has this versatility to his game and, and is just harder to game plan against, but also you never have to game plan against o- Odom because he's with someone better and kind of just opposes these two Clippers power forwards that never got to win or do anything on their own. But I, I feel like that's a misunderstanding of Elton Brand. The Ellen Brand season I always like to look at is 2011. He is with a bad, young 76ers team. This team is being led by Lou Williams and by Andre Iguodala. It's, I guess, also Drew Holiday's there. But but he has taken these young players. Like, guess we look at Drew Holiday now, we look at Iguodala now, and we look at that young now as all being good defensive players. Um, but he is the core. He is the captain. He is the catalyst of this defense. Uh, this team is starting Jody Meeks and Spencer Hawes. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful mismatch of players. He captains this defense. He gets to be the like anchor. And I, I wish we got to see him not be the version that you're wanting to see and get to be more of the Draymond or more of one of those other roles. And like some guys just aren't blessed to get to play with superstars. And so I absolutely love Elton Brand. I am totally fine with him being the next guy, but I do just want to make the case for Gus Johnson. That Sixers team is so mediocre. They go 41 and 41. It starts planting the seeds of the process. They don't start it yet. They're still three seasons out. That season was so directionless, it helped them pick a direction later on. They give me the Gus Johnson, the Gus Johnson take. So the Gus Johnson take is is a what if take because um, he he's technically in the league from 64 to 73, but dude does not get to play very much. He's a five-time All-Star, four-time All-NBA second team. He gets one sixth-place MVP finish. He gets one fifth-place MVP finish as a rookie. He comes into the league late at like 25. He is, he's really good. He's, he's a versatile scorer, rebounder, and, and playmaker. I know the assist numbers aren't that great, but um, just a lot of power, a lot of athleticism. Uh, Nate Thurman says that Gus Johnson was the best all-round uh, forward in the league, bar none. If he had a couple more inches, because Gus is also really undersized. He's strong, but he's short. He kind of gives off like Zion vibes if you're reading six, the history. Six. Yeah, that's and that's a generous 6'6", six, six, according to people. But if you give him a couple more heights, he'd be unstoppable. Now, one of the big knocks about him is that he's he's up and down. Uh, and one of the NBA referees that I, I found a quote from says, you know, when he hustles, the whole team hustles and they usually win. Uh, but I've never seen a player look so great on Monday and just garbage on Tuesday. So that's that's the the pros and cons um everyone we've looked at probably the worst win shares probably the worst true shooting added like we're talking negative 400 points we're talking like 37 total win shares in this guy's career but if we want to talk about just peaks and just single seasons i think gus being an mvp candidate for a couple of years and being one of these best players has to be up there with everyone we've got left on the board yeah i'm totally fine with him coming up as the next guy but you want Elton Brand above him? I do. I do. Because Gus Johnson is some other really good players, and, and that team's not making the playoffs. The Bullets aren't. 
are making a ton of a ton of moves. He plays from 1964 to 71. From 1964, or sorry, 1964 to 73. But 1964 to 71, all with the bullets, he averages 18 points, 13 half boards, three assists, just 44% shooting. But the field goal percentage is kind of whatever in the 60s. You can definitely be effective in other ways than efficient scoring. And Gus Johnson was such a good defensive player, such a good rebounder. He definitely was impactful. Mm-hmm. Looking at his like 65 season, just for example, that team goes 37 and 43. It's him. It's Walt Bellamy. It's Bailey Howell. It's Don Ole. Kevin Lowry's here. Like these are all good players. That the, the in my head, they're good players, but the result is not a very good team. Um, that kind of hurts the Gus Johnson take. I think Brian was able to scale up to be the first option on a, on, a, on a playoff team and scale down. I don't think Gus Johnson is scaling up in that sense. How do you feel about Brand and Johnson? Then we can just throw Harry Galton there, Galton in there, and feel happy. What about Larry Johnson? We we just have breezed past Larry Johnson. <laughs> can we do Galton then Larry Johnson? Can I throw a fifth name at you? I, I know we got I a lot of players. There's lots of the orchestra right now. We're Elton Brand, Gus Johnson. We're in we're agreement on that. Um, yes, we knew Elton Brand okay. above Gus Johnson. Okay. And you what want about Larry- Tom Chambers? Oh, we didn't even do Chambers. Oh my goodness, I'm falling apart. Well, so I mean, here's the thing: is each of these guys has a unique. We, we, case. Had, we had Tom Chambers at thirty. We haven't. To- we haven't. Dis- oh. Yeah, we locked him in. He was- yeah, we locked in Tom Chambers. Okay. Did I just say Tom Chambers? You said Tom Chambers. Right now, I'm looking at. Tom Chambers, 30, Elden Brand, 31, Gus Johnson, 29, 32. Oh, never mind. Wait, wait, sorry. I still had Gallat in there. I mean, I'm, I'm all messed up. All right. I'm so Chambers, Chambers is 29. Mm. Elden Brand, 30. Um, I'm, I'm totally chill with, um, all right. So Chambers, Chambers, 29. Mm-hmm. God, we're bad. We're off our games. <laughs> it happens. Um, I, I want to make the case for Larry Nance at 30. Larry Nance at 30. Over, over Brand. Over Brand. Okay. Yeah, sure. I, I'm interested. And like all of these guys that we've been mentioning are kind of different cases. And there's a little bit of choose your own adventure here. Um, But the Larry Nance senior case is longevity and consistent, sustained, above average play. We are looking at over a thousand games played, 110 win shares in his career, 100 and or sorry, 1,300 in true shooting adage. Uh, We're talking 20th in career blocks. You know, he's a finesse big who can still play defense. Like he's going to go around people, not through them, but he'll still provide weak side hit rim protection. Three-time all-star, three-time all-defensive team. Uh, his all-star appearances are pretty spaced out. So he's like at that level, but, um, you know, broken up. Uh, we're looking at from 84 to 93. So 10 straight years or a 10-year span, 18 and a half points per game, like eight and a half rebounds, two blocks. Um, you could probably consider him the second best player in 84 on a Western Conference Finals teams, uh, the, the Suns, and eight seasons in the top 10 blocks per game. I, I think yeah. I think that's a really great long-standing case that I, I appreciate the merits of it more than that one really good season of Elton Brand. Nance's career is so perfect. In his fourth season, he makes his first All-Star team. Four years later, his second, and then four years later, his third. One more season that's kind of injury plagued, and then he's done. He just is consistently the entire time a perfectly fringe all star. Like sometimes he sneaks in, mm-hmm. sometimes he doesn't. He gets up to 22 points a game, 22 and a half in 1987. He's up to three blocks a game at age 32 in 1992 for the Cavs. It's kind of all over the place um, in terms of when he peaks. It's hard to say, like, what's the best Larry Nance season? He's just always really effective. You want to go Nance and then Brand? Yeah, I like that. I, I got my two Nance quotes ready to go. Uh, one is from Lenny Wilkins. Uh, he's a consummate professional, 
Blair was a great guy, very team oriented. He was great in helping the younger players. He's a tremendous person as well as athlete. If you don't like Larry Nance, you have something wrong with you. I think that just, I think that says something. That's got some merits. So where'd you find his games play? Because I see 920. I think you said over 1,000. Oh, I might have just written it down wrong. Maybe it was including playoffs. Oh, yeah. I guess playoffs still, he gets like nine something. I was ballparking it. <laughs> I mean, it's about right. Okay, so you we know, have... tossing the All-Star games, and there he's at 1,000. There you go, 1,000 games. Just like you said, we have... That still doesn't get there. <laughs> <laughs> How about college? College yeah, games? Yeah, in college. He gets yeah, there. in high school. He's played 1,000 games at some point in his life. Summer league, preseason. <laughs> he's got to 1,000 games. <laughs> so we have 29 Tom Chambers, 30 Barry Nance, 31 Eldon Brand, 32 Gus Johnson? Yes. 33 Larry Johnson? Yes. 34 Harry Gallatin. Oh, come on. I I, I'm not going to bend over anymore. I'm trying to wrap my head around who we just got where. There's someone I'm still missing. I have 34 Gallatin. 30 we had Elton Brand. No, 30 we had Larry Nance. 31 Elton Brand. 32 Gus. 33 Larry. And then 34, you want Harry? All right, who's the next highest guy? No love for Terry Cummings? Dave DeBusher? Bob Love? We'll, we'll get there. Those are close guys. Derek are... Coleman? That's literally the next guys, the next three guys in order. I just need you to accept Terry God. <laughs> all right, let, let me just check my Terry Terry Cummings case real quick. Okay, act like I have this all memorized. I'm good, but I'm not that good. Fifth in MVP in '85. There was not an MVP voting when an MVP when Gallatin's played. No, no, when Cummings played. I know. I, I know. I'm saying that you can't compare that to Gallatin because there wasn't an MVP. A thousand games. Terry Cummings is good for about half of those. And yeah. you know, longevity is in the 50s. Yeah. All right. Fine. We'll, we'll take Harry. Let you get, get Harry in there at 34. I'll make the case. Here's for Terry Cummings. Plays from 83 to 2000. Over 1,000 games played. Two-time All-Star, just two-time All-NBA. From 83 to 90, he is averaging 22 points and basically nine rebounds. Um, he joins the Bucks when they're an elite team, but he still helps them to win 59, 57, and 50 games, um, then a down year, then back up to 49. So like five years of basically 50 wins. We're talking like 250 wins in five seasons on those those couple of teams. And he's arguably the second best guy uh, when they make the Eastern Conference Finals in 85. Maybe you call him guy three, guy four in 86. Eastern Conference Finals goes seven games, and Terry has two or has has two really big games. One is game two, where he's 30 points and 15 rebounds. Uh, and the other one is game seven, where he's 27 points and eight rebounds. I believe that is 85, 86. They get swept by Boston. Uh, and Cummings has kind of a really poor shooting game one, eight points. So there is some some good, some bad. Just for a bit of how good he was as a player, he is a player that is big enough to post up smaller forwards and fast enough to outrun power forwards. Also very bald, very bald head. Very bald head. It, it's rumored that he inspired Michael Jordan to take on that uh, that approach. <laughs> He's at 6'9", 220, super athletic. And really, you know, just a great score. You, I mean, talk about these uh, this first like eight seasons or so of 22 points and then eight boards and on good teams and he's even really good for the 1990 spurs for david robinson's rookie year i think it's a, i think I, it's good yeah i think in terms of impact on on good teams i also want to say he is the only player to outscore michael jordan in a playoff series i did not is do that, a true? super great job fact checking that i think but i think it's true who was i check who was i just looking at um does city moncrief not do that he might fall like one point short so he only plays the bucks the one time 
And that is is where Terry Cummings outscores him. And Terry Cummings outscores him by one point in the series, four-game series. It's 118 to to 117. There also is that later career, you know, transition to being more of a, a role player. That is is really impressive in my in mind. He gets hurt, scales it down, plays another. Jeez, I mean, most most of his career, maybe not most. Yeah. Like, look, nineteen ninety one. In terms of years, I don't think in terms of not in terms of games, but in terms of years, he's ninety one to two thousand. He's about ten points and six boards. You know what? Still give him credit for enough to move him above Harry uh, Gallatin. No, let's do Cummings at thirty five. <laughs> no, just leave it be. Fine, fine, fine. Thirty six. How about Larry Keenan? No. What, what happened? What happened okay. to you saying that you had my like next list of guys right there? Well, the after after Keenan, <laughs> after Keenan, I have to Busher Bobby Jones. What is what is your Keenan case? For Keenan, you get a five time All Star, one time champ. It's an ABA championship for the seventy four Nets. You know, Doctor J is the best player on that team, but who's the second best player? Maybe it's Billy, Billy Paltz. Paltz. Larry, yeah, maybe. It might be, but Larry Keenan's also 16 points and 11 boards. Um, in the playoffs, he is second in scoring and first in rebounds for a championship ABA team. So you have that, but then he also so he survives the merger in entirety, 1974, 1980, 20 points a game, 10 boards. Just in the first four seasons after the merger for the Spurs, two all-star appearances, 21 points, 10 boards. So you get that, that merger, the ability to survive the merger, which is something rare in terms of... Um, Mm-hmm. It's just what we're looking for. Those first teams, 76, 77, 78, 79, 80, make the playoffs. So he's a part of that. I think I like it. What do you think? So one of the things that I struggled with is that he was, he doesn't provide much else beyond scoring. And when you dissect his scoring and start digging into how he scored, he was a fast break threat. He was the guy in transition that could push. He was uber athletic. And it's why you see his career just like, like there is not a slow drop off. He goes from twenty points to fourteen to seven to five to gone. Because uh, as soon as he starts losing that athleticism, uh, it goes downhill. And I think that's a bit of why he's able to be so efficient. Um, is one he's always going against going up against the team's like second best wing or big. He probably should be more of a small forward, but playing next to Julius Irving, he plays a lot of power forward. Um, he does play more small forward when he gets to San Antonio when he's next to Gervin. I just I, I didn't find much that really was that he was a super high contributor. Um, a lot of people talk about him on the break. He's got quick hands. He's got long arms, but no one was, was saying. Is his rebounding not? Is his rebounding not a factor? Like the ten rebounds a game, eleven rebounds a game. I mean, you can stand at the board and get rebounds, and you also get twenty points a night and do that. If it's if twenty can... and ten, are you caring how he gets it? A, a little bit, a little bit in this range. It, it's just it's just my pushback on. He's the second best player. Well, no. He, reading about that history, the, the guys uh, were really heavily Billy Poltz. Um, I've got some Billy Poltz stuff for our centers list. <laughs> it's it, He's very clearly the third guy. Except for when he averages more points and more rebounds than Poltz in the playoffs. Oh, oh, you, you've done it now. You're getting my Poltz quotes <laughs> early. You can, you can quote, I'll quote the, the box score. It says he was just, just like better. You're going to love this quote as soon as my sure, sure center quotes will load here. You got a lot of work to do. You're going to feel so stupid. All right, Jim that. Crones. Okay. I wasn't very smart. I thought because I could shoot better, jump higher, and run faster than our other center, Billy Poltz, I was better than Billy. I wasn't. Billy knew every trick in the book, and Billy helped you win. 
Mm, that's a good quote. I love the fact that he says, I wasn't very smart. Okay, so this is the anti-Keaton case, is that Billy Paltz is really good. All right, I can, I'll leave it alone. So is Dave DeBusher your nomination, then? I think so. Okay. Suppose that means I have to make the case for him. You DeBusher, make the case? I can eight. make the case for your guy. Well, so the Bush of the case is eight-time All-Star, one-time All-NBA, six-time All-Defense. Um, he makes every All-Defensive team after the award gets invented until he retires. So he's probably making a few more of them. We remember the Willis-Reed game where he walks in in Game 7, but we don't talk about DeBusher playing 37 minutes, 18 points, 17 rebounds. He's a tough rebounder. He's a shooter. Phil Jackson called him Velcro chest. Because like once he gets his like body into you, he you could not move, you couldn't shake him. I think his offensive and defensive com- combination, like his sixteen eleven versus Keon's twenty and eleven or twenty and ten, like the numbers are close enough that when we start reading and factoring in the other stuff around these guys, I think DeBusher's defensive impact is just greater. You could also make the case that he's the second best player on the seventy three team third best guy uh on 71 and 72 those Knicks teams were so stacked but the 1970 finals he averages 19 points 12 boards and 2.6 assists in a, in a really crucial role beating a stacked lakers team i'd be okay moving him a little bit higher honestly looking at these playoff numbers seeing him just 20 20 and 17 15 and 11 19 and 12 19 and 16 all the way down to 1973 finals where he's 16 points and 12 boards you could i think maybe we maybe we messed this up mate maybe he should be higher than this how high you want him? How about how about over? You want him over Gallatin or over Larry Johnson too? I can take him over uh, Gallatin. All right, soon. So uh, that's where I had him initially. I I was willing to consider even higher. Um, I, I'm I'm not too opposed to even moving him up over Elton Brand. This whole yeah. cluster in the Matrix is really really close. Are we doing it over Elton Brand? You want to do over Elton Brand? That's good. All right. I think you know a little more conventional more conventional rankings for us i think he is just he's an all-nba player just one time you get him to these playoff spots you get him to the finals where you can perform well he will be awesome for you but you do need he needs to be the third guy needs to be yeah maybe the fourth guy because even looking at like his pistons years prior his highest scoring season 1967 team wins 30 games yeah it's him it's dave bing and they're not good enough that team's not good enough to make the playoffs i think that's kind of an indictment of of DeBusher, but you know what? If he can still be so effective when other people do the heavy lifting, that's still that's still a good thing. And it's not like he's bad. We are talking no, about an eight-time all. all-star. Yeah. Like, that, that is a consistent top 20 player in the league because they didn't do 24 all-stars at the time. Like, that, mm-hmm. that's good. That's good enough for me. Who are So you got Keon. Who are your next, like, two guys after that? What's your top three right now? And I'll give my top three on the board. I have, so Keenan, Bob Love, and Bobby Jones. I've got Bob Love, Derek Coleman, and Buck Williams. Okay, I had Buck Williams one after that. Actually, that's not true. I had Tom Janovich, then Buck Williams. But he's in the he's in the mix. So Bob Love is is the common factor here. A three-time All-Star, three-time All-Defense, two-time All-NBA. A little under 800 games. But there's a stretch in Chicago from 1970 to 75. Basically, his entire career in Chicago, he's 23 points, seven boards. And those are good Bulls teams. He's averaging 26 points a night for the 72 Bulls. That team wins 57 games. He's probably the best player on that team. And they get absolutely wiped by the Lakers, but they do make the playoffs and win for these seven games. That Lakers team, that 72 Lakers team, I think is, I think I had them as like the fourth best team of all time I did that series. Yeah, so no shame in losing. No shame in losing. That wasn't expecting much else, but I'm a Bob Love fan. It's a very strange era. In Chicago basketball, I feel like no one remembers. It's Chet Walker, it's Jerry Sloan, and Norm Van Leer is there. 
it's pretty brief, but it's basically the second, it's the third best era of Bulls basketball behind Jordan and then behind like the Derrick Rose Bulls. It's it's not great, but he consistently gets the team to the playoffs. They're they're like a first round exit year after year after year. And then the one time they get past it, they're playing the Kings who don't really have a big man and Bob Love just goes to work and gets 30 points in per game. I think it's it's a high level player. You could probably make a strong case for someone else um, and get him there. I, like I think Bob we've Love. got I'm looking at it because I mean, even. Even after that, 1975, like they lose, they beat the Kings, but they go up against the eventual champion Warriors. They push those guys to seven. They lose just in four or by four in Game Seven. Um, Love averages 22, six, and 1.6 assists on 38% shooting. It's a terrible series, but they come really close to beating the eventual champion. Um, another really kind of cool thing about Bob Love, and this this should in no way impact his rankings, uh, but his career ends with a back injury in '77. I only watched his highlights. I never listened to him talk. Have you ever heard Bob Love talk? I have not. Bob Love had an like unintelligible stutter. Mm, very interesting. And in like 1984, he is a dishwasher making four dollars, like four and a half dollars an hour, because wow. he just he, he couldn't speak. And then he saw a speech therapist for a number of years, cured his stutter, uh, according to um, the articles I was reading. And uh, in '92 is able to come back to the Chicago Bulls, become their director of community affairs. Uh, now as a public speech or now does like public speaking and like talks about, about these things and overcoming difficulties and odds and trying to like build yourself back up. Really sounds like an awesome guy. Individual award recognition from the National Council of Communications Disorders, as well as the Oscar Robertson Leadership Award for winner. So just just kind of a cool dude. It's always nice to learn about these people as yeah. as we're trying to figure out where they should rank. Hey, as someone that will graduate with a degree in speech therapy or speech pathology in just a few months now, I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. So after that, the the next commonality we had was Buck Williams. Uh, but you had a couple of guys beforehand. I'm not quite feeling the vibes on Larry. What, what was your case for Bobby Jones? Bobby Jones is a five-time All-Star, an 11-time All-Defensive player. One time all ABA and is a part of the 83 Sixers. He's essentially what DeBush is doing. Maybe more defense or maybe even a better defender than that. He's like the less scoring version of DeBusher. Um, makes the playoffs every single year he plays. Leads a league in field goal percentage. ABA twice and the NBA once. You get a player that could, could be your really awesome third option, four, even fourth option scoring just because he was so good defensively. It's a shame. His prime basically ends like the year the Defensive Player of the Year award is invented, 1983. But prior to that, mm-hmm. I feel like he could have picked one of those up. Absolutely. It's a ton of basically is on a good team the entire time and is the best defensive player on that team. I think he's one of, it's just him and Dr. J and Kevin Garnett or something that average 1.5 steals and blocks for their career. I might be pulling that on my ass, but I feel like I did do that research at one point. Well, he does not average 1.5 blocks. <laughs> 1.4. Even then. Even then. <laughs> yeah. So it, a really interesting thing about him, and I did knock him down because he doesn't play a ton. He has these these minutes things. And I was kind of looking into like, why? Like, why doesn't he play? Do you know why he has a minutes restriction for his entire career? Now that you mention it, I feel like at some point I read that he has some health thing, but I, I don't remember anymore. He has epilepsy. That's right. He does have a, I totally forgot about that. If he plays too much, 
it, it can get triggered. And so like he has to like calm down his sensory the overload before he has like an episode or a seizure. I struggle because he is he's written about as being the best defensive player in the ABA. Just two seasons in the ABA, but even when he comes over to the NBA, he makes it yes. he makes all the he's all defense every year but once. Yes. So like awesome, great defensive player. I think the limited minutes does kind of hurt it for me. All defensive first team, by the way. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven of those bad boys. Eleven? Did I count there? It must just be ten. Ten, ten first team all defense. Can I offer a second place MVP finish in nineteen seventy-six? That is actually pretty valuable. It's 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 not that valuable. Dr. J basically has a unanimous MVP. Bobby Jones has 0.029% of the MVP share tied with James Silas and David Thompson, who each got one vote apiece. All right, never mind. He's in the conversation. He's <laughs> no, like... That's, that's, there's no conversation. <laughs> that's... <laughs> He's in the conversation. It's like, hey, like throw Bobby Jones a vote. Someone in Denver is really into it. That's called We Don't Announce Our Ballots, and someone <laughs> really wanted to do a story about the MVP case. And so it's... Uh, it's a local media guy. Okay, so what are we thinking? I, I actually, I do really love that case here. I want to make the quick case for Derek Coleman. Super talented. Not the intangibles. Does not have Bobby Jones's intangibles, but definitely a better Does player. Absolutely not. Um, Derek Coleman was, if you want to compare him to like DeMarcus Cousins, I think that's that's like the most apt modern comparison I've seen. So I'm stealing that from someone on Reddit. Still that from me. Also I you. said that. <laughs> I didn't see that on Reddit. Well, I stole it from someone on Reddit. Oh, jeez. Oh, someone thought of that before me. Yeah. No, like, he was on the Carl Malone, Charles Barkley trajectory and just, like, mentally doesn't have it there. Do you want to know what Dave Cowan said when uh, Charlotte brought him into play center? Please tell me. So, for, for context, Dave Cowens is the coach of the Hornets, and the Hornets bring in Derek Coleman to be their starting center. And the, when inter- when they ask the coach, Cowens is like, yeah, I'm not sure how that's going to work. <laughs> oh. um, which, all right, it's a bad bad introduction to why I'm, I am like him here. So talented. His first five seasons. Yeah, so talented. We're talking 20 and 10. Same as Larry Keon. But he is the driving force. He's the primary, the offensive driver for these teams. Um, one-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA third team. He is really good at basketball. Those Nets teams weren't the best they make the playoffs in 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 for the nets those three seasons they make the playoffs they lose in the first one each time but he's 25 points 13 mm-hmm. points four assists more than one steal 1.7 blocks 48 percent shooting the talent is just insane he could have been tim duncan if he gave a shit oh he yeah did not, he, he did not give a shit still yeah but like 93 of those playoffs you gave the averages in 93 27 points in the 94, we're looking at 14 rebounds. Like, this guy was supremely talented for a brief window before he ballooned up to being, like, Shaq weight. So philosophically, do we want the player who couldn't play as much but played longer, who wasn't as good as, like, an overall player but was, like, a much more team-oriented component, or do we want the guy that was super good and just shit it all away? I think the higher levels, the top 10 and the top 20 even— you take the talent over the fit. If we're yeah. talking number 38 and 39, I think we're going to take Bobby Jones. But but we can go Jones and then Coleman. All right. All right. What's a new name for you to bring into the list? Then I'll bring in a new name and we'll keep working our way down that way. I had Rudy, Rudy Tomjanovich, five-time All-Star. Only only played for Houston. 
I'm looking at that 77 season, so it's post-merger. So everyone's here, averaging 21 points a game, 8.5 boards, is the leading scorer on that team, second in rebounds. The team wins 49 games, and they lose to the Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals in the six games. And I think given that, given you see that the impact of what Tom Janovich could do, Average 21, 6, and 2 in the first round, then 19, 4, and 2 in the second round. That's a really good team. Has guys like Calvin Murphy and a really young Moses Malone and John Lucas and Tom Janovich, of course. Getting to 49 wins and winning a playoff series isn't the craziest thing, but I think it's a nice it's a nice season to point out and say, hey, like that's when he was really effective, despite just overall being about, you know, 17 and 8 for his entire career. I'm it's it's a bit higher than what I had him. You know, it, it's interesting because that 79 season, he gets back after the punch. And for those unfamiliar with Rudy Tomjanovich and 70s basketball, fighting happened a lot. Like that joke of, you know, I went to a hockey or I went to a fight and a hockey game broke out. That started off as a basketball joke that like these sports are, are interlinked in their history. And he gets drilled in the face and starts leaking spinal fluid. He broke his jaw so hard as this cracked the back of his head. Yeah, they they thought he might not survive. And so to come back a year later and play basketball is really cool. And the numbers do bear him out as being basically the same player pre and post. But Rudy, Rudy's spoken about that year and said he didn't deserve an all-star, that he was voted in kind of on a pity vote and it rubbed him the wrong way, that he felt like guys went really easy on him. Not that that should detract from the other stuff that he did because 74 to 77 is a great four-year stretch. It is just the two playoff appearances. I would be more interested in Larry over him. The next guy up off my list would be Buck Williams. He was next for me. I had him. I have the Keaton and Tom Janovich pairing. Then I had Buck Williams right after that. You could totally convince me. I mean, you make you tell me a player made the playoffs with the Nets of the 80s. Couldn't tell me one other Nets player played in the 80s. Kenny Anderson? No, that's 90s. That's 90s. See, that's 90s. No one knows. <laughs> no one has any idea. You couldn't tell me a single player from that area. Buck Williams managed to take that team to the playoffs. He's in every single game, except for one, 1982-1987. Such a good rebounder. 12 boards a game from that stretch. I mean, you know, about 17 points a game. Makes four on offensive teams. Rookie of the year, one-time All-NBA in 1983, second season. He basically peaks in he peaks in year year two, and then it's just downhill from there. But he's still really effective for a long time. Thirteen hundred games until nineteen ninety eight for the Knicks. Nineteen uh, thirty seven. A little bit of longevity, a little bit of a got a shitty team to the playoffs. Some some nice defensive stuff. I'm interested. Yeah, I mean that that really is the case. Is like, hey, if you want him to be a twenty points per game scorer, he can get close. A couple of seasons up there. Um, but if you want him to be like a, a bruising powerful rebounder, he can do that as well. When the Nets make the playoffs in 83, and he's second team All-NBA, they're the top defense in the league. And that is because of Buck Williams. Buck is that high effort defense rebounds. Let me shoot short shots. Let me set screens. Uh, I'm not going to dribble. I'm not going to pass, but I can do the dirty work. In this range, I think that's a really valuable pickup because we're not really finding the superstar talent. Are we good with him at 40? Let's do him at 40. And then... I think I'm comfortable if we really want Larry at 41. I could take Larry off the board for right. right now. Let's do it. All right. You're going to have to wait a minute on Rudy. Can I offer you a Carlos Boozer in this trying time? I Boozer is the next guy on my board. Perfect. Carlos Boozer. See, we'd hit that synergy event eventually. Yeah. 20 and 10. 20 and 10. His game aged out so fast. 
oh, yeah. is my favorite example of like the era changing because Carlos Boozer was a pretty good player and then a year he was done. They're like, yeah, but you can't shoot threes or fend the rim. You're not really effective in the post anymore. But there's a good stretch. Like in the playoffs, Jazz make the conference finals. First round, he's 25 and 11. Second round, 24 and 14. Third round, he get obliterated by the Spurs. Just a great Spurs team, but he's 21 and 12. Yeah, I'm all for it. I always felt that he had the misfortune of running into the Lakers when they had that terrible front line. Terrible for him. The front line of Pau Gasol and Andrew Bynum and Metta World Peace and Lamar Odom. Like, it, it just... What do you want to do? Do you want to try to play the speed game? All right, we're going to put Metta World Peace on you. Do you want to do athletic things? All right, Odom's your si- same size, same athleticism. And then if you get past either of them, you have either Bynum or Gasol. And so like... In 2010, he had a great series against Denver. We're talking 22 points, 13 boards. And then he gets swept by the Lakers and just goes from 58% field goal shooting down to 44. Like it it was so apparent that he just could not handle their size. In 2008, he sees the Lakers 40% field goal shooting. Just, just to be an undersized big hurt so much in the playoffs. But he kind of gave you everything you wanted in the regular season. So we're in lockstep here. I was boost for 41. Then can I offer you Pascal Siakam at 43? Oh my God. We're locked up again? No. Is that a bad, oh my God? It's a oh. bad, oh my God. <laughs> not that I disagree necessarily, but um, but I, I guess I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, I mean, let me, let me take a look. He's the second best player on that. He, I, I would argue he's the second best player on that title team. Yep. No, it's close. It's pretty Aquai's one, and there's a bunch of maybe some two Bs, but but still. Yeah, I mean, him and Lowry is the emotional one. Yeah. But skill and talent wise, probably more like the three. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this season's been great for him. He's been. Yeah. It's a hair high potentially, but I think it's I think it's a good spot to lock him in now. And then we have less work to do over the summer. And when we re-rank <laughs> these guys. Hey, that, that's, we're not projecting anything. No projecting. For the summer, we're going back. We're doing it all over again. I'm not projecting much. I think he's going to finish out the year. They maybe make the playoffs and they lose in the first round. I don't, I don't think there's that much. Uh... <laughs> It's not like I'm like, yeah, if he makes the finals. Let's, can we do Tom Janovich then, and then Siakam? All right. Okay. And now I would like to talk to you about my lord and savior, Bob Nedelicki. And I'm really hoping that you, you're in love with Bob Nedelicki. Are you a, are you a Bob Nedelicki guy? He has the greatest name ever. I had him at 48, which is, it, it, this, the last, like, last guys in this list are just this mess of, I have no idea what to make of it, and they're all basically the same. If you can sell me on Bob Nedelicki, I'm all for it. All right, Bob Nedelicki is the coolest motherfucker ever. I'm not even going to talk about his basketball. Bob Nedelicki flew to Indiana on his own plane because his dad was like a doctor in Iowa. And so they had like a, reports vary. Some have called it a private plane. Some have called it like a crop plane. I'm guessing it's probably closer to a crop plane than like a private jet. But Bob flew it. Bob has his pilot's license, so he flew there. Bob Nedelicki was drafted to the NBA and the ABA. Total rich kid vibes. He had a lynx, and then someone was like, you know what you should do? You should get a bigger cat. So in college, he got a lion that slept in his dorm room bathtub. (laughs) Oh my god. When he gets to Indiana, he has like no concept of how much like an MBA or ABA salary is. And so they're like trying to offer him a negotiated salary. He's like, what if you just get me like a car? And so they got him like a Corvette. And he's like, yeah, this is is good. (laughs) (laughs) um, He... 
he plays for the Pacers, and I guess I will touch a little bit because he gets two rings with them, and he's kind of their glue guy. He's their do everything, you know, eighteen points, ten rebounds. Everyone in this group, eighteen points, ten rebounds, fine. Uh, he's guy three, he's guy four, he's guy two, he's back up to guy four. He, he bounces around. He starts the seventy All Star game. He's a four time All Star, one time All ABA. He's a glue guy for a championship team. You know, very very similar to some of these other guys, but. He's the glue on and off the court because he owns the bar. He owns Nettos in Indianapolis because the team was like, we need a bar to hang out at. And have you ever seen Semi-Pro? I have not. There's this wonderful scene in Semi-Pro where they're joking around, uh, like whip out a pistol and they're like, ah, ha, ha, we're like cowboys. That apparently is what the fucking Indiana Pacers used to do. It's just like bring revolvers and pretend to be cowboys and joke around that they're not loaded or be like, yeah, they're not loaded. Um... And then apparently one point a gun got shot off in Nettos just by one of them being like, ah, see, it's not loaded and like points it up and fires it. And it was actually loaded like, oh, shit, we could have killed someone. Uh, and they do that whole bit in semi-pro, but actually shoot someone. And then he's got like a bloat wound for the rest of the movie. <laughs> I'm talking owns a lion, flies planes, has the bar that everyone hangs out in. Also, cool fact about that. Um, the city of Indiana recognizes his contribution to diversity and race relations and awards him because it was a uh, desegregated bar in the, in the 70s wow. or late 60s and 70s. And yeah, also trans inclusive in the 60s and 70s. But so do you have evidence of that? Do you yes. Have to okay, <laughs> please go ahead. Well, maybe not trans inclusive so much as the guys would tease each other for making out with the guy that was dressed as a woman it was at least well known enough that this happened that they were like yeah you know you kind of had to be careful who you slept or like took home that night because you might end up with a um cross-dressing person and they're like ah, it was all good fun at netto's like you just never knew the type of people you'd meet there it's basically a gay bar you're describing a very progressive <laughs> 70s gay bar and i think for that reason Number 44 is perfect. Oh, also, he was incredibly attractive, uh, apparently. They <laughs> called just, him like the... He's just hot as shit. <laughs> yeah. The, he's called the Elvis of Indianapolis at one point by the Indianapolis star. He's also kind of a bum. He didn't play college ball because it just like wasn't for him for a little bit. Then like joined like his junior year and like just a really weird dude. He's like looking back on his career. He's like, yeah, I learned more guarding Connie Hawkins for one game than entire season in college. Like. You learn by playing, and that's just wanted to get Bob Nedelicki in here. I love it. All right, I think we did a good uh, a good bit on Nedelicki. So forty five. That leaves us with Paul Silas, Dan Roundfield, Rasheed Wallace, Antoine Jameson. Antoine Jameson can fuck off. Sorry, right. <laughs> I'm just not interested. <laughs> Antoine Walker, David West, Zach Randolph, Danny Manning. Take the take the Clippers to the playoffs. Every player that takes the Clippers to the playoffs should be on sub list somewhere, admiring acknowledging appreciating the contributions to basketball i mean tobias harris is is a ways down but if you really want to have that conversation tobias all right who are the five the, guys he didn't you take got the clippers to shit <laughs> he took him to the playoffs he was there he didn't take anyone anywhere he, he made it you're gaslighting me about how good tobias harris ever was you just put the standard of if he gets the team <laughs> to the playoffs and, and tobias harris didn't get anyone anywhere he was just he's just he's just a part of it he was just a part of it Oh, I guess they didn't even make the playoffs that year. All right, I'm Thank sorry. Thank you. I'm sorry. Thank you. Okay, man. Who are your next five guys? Who are the five had, last guys that you want to squeeze in? It's Silas, Danny Manning, Bridges, Roundfield, and Charles Oakley. Just went. I went 
all over the place. I couldn't decide on what I was valuing anymore. Looking at the guys below hand, I'm like, I just, I felt like for, I don't know what I believe in. <laughs> the number 45 to 50 in your power forwards list will make you question God. Did, did you say Danny Round, Roundfield in there? I did say Roundfield. We can start there because I, I think I think I was too harsh on Rashid Wallace. Because he's a part of so much good basketball, but he's also like the fourth guy. That's still worth something. All right, we'll, we'll start with Roundfield. Roundfield, great Atlanta Hawks player. Looking into him, it's what I wanted Josh Smith to be, basically, of like the super athletic guy. Uh, plays from 76 to 87, three-time All-Star. His five-year peak is from 80 to 84, 18 points, 10 rebounds. Literally everyone, 18 points, 10 rebounds that we'll talk about the rest of this day. Five-time All-Defense, fifth in MVP voting in 1980. It's just two votes. So, you know, could be a hometown reporter giving his guy some votes, but it's it's something. Really smart positional player, great on defense. Uh, Dominique Wilkins Dominique Wilkins called him one of the most underrated players in the league. Not, you know, not too surprising considering they were teammates, but that's that's my Danny Roundfield case. That is enough for me. If you just told me anything about them, what their color of under, what the color of their underwear was, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds about good. That's enough for me. It's, it's enough to put the edge at this point. I found my Paul Silas defense, by the way. It's the two-time All-Star. I've talked about defense. It's the three-time champ. Is um, in the playoffs, 32 minutes a game for the 74 Celtics, and then 41 minutes a game for the 76 Celtics. He also plays 25 minutes a game for the 79 Supersonics. He's just kind of like the defensive, the defensive, uh, defensive power forward for 1,200 games since 1965 to 80. Plays for some really good teams, helps them win some championships, grabs a lot of rebounds. Silas. Yeah, the defense is defense is so hard to quantify. But he, he gets those defensive teams. Yeah. And he does play a lot of minutes. That's that's a great shout out. So that has been one of my things is like, if you're going to be a defensive player, you got to always be on the court. And he is always on the court. 76 finals. Yeah, there's 40 minutes in the finals. 79. Can I argue Rashid for him? And then I'm fine with him at 48. Sure. Let's do that. We can do round of field, then Rashid, then Silas. But I want to hear about Rashid. So Rashid Wallace... He gets to the Pistons late. Um, like he is, he's that trade deadline move from Portland to Atlanta for a single game and then to Detroit. And really, he switches up his game. He becomes an offensive presence, a, a stopper who can also stretch the floor. You want to talk about one of the early adapters and a more modern player? Rashid is shooting threes at a good percentage for the middle part of his career. Like he he's one of the early adopters of being a stretch four who can also still rebound. Doesn't have the 10 rebounds, but he does have the the 18 to 20 points. The other really important thing for Rashid in my mind is in 2000, he is one quarter away from winning the NBA championship. That game seven against the Lakers where the Lakers make their strong fourth quarter comeback. It, it's Rashid that got the Blazers there. Yes, there's other good players. There's Arvidas Sabonis. There's Damon Stoudemire. There's an old Scottie Pippen. But it's it's Rashid that has the Blazers there. And it's Rashid that doesn't entirely crumble in that fourth quarter. Like, Pippen goes over three in the fourth quarter. He plays basically the whole thing. Steve Smith, one for five. Rashid, yeah, it's three for nine. But, I mean, the rest of the team went two for 14. So I think three for nine is acceptable. Rashid is the best player on what it's a little bit like the Chris Webber case of if he didn't run in the Lakers, he has a ring. I think it's a great case. 
there's a lot of almost, there's a lot of winning, also a lot of almost winning in terms of that 2000 series, but also the 2005 finals. Sheed Wallace leaves Robert Ori open. I won't hold that against him too much. I think uh, he has one championship, could have had three. Could have had more than that, given all the conference finals he plays in, but I'm interested. I think we'll go uh, Wallace and then Silas. Is that what we agreed on? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, then, uh, who's your 49? I'm going to go Bill Bridges. I'm throwing Danny Manning out the car. I looked at his resume. I asked him about, hey, like, what were you doing in 1992? Like, how oh, was that actually a great season? He's like, no, actually, it wasn't that great. They won 41 games. And so I, I dropped him off, but I picked up Bill Bridges. 1965 to 1971, make the playoffs every single year, him and the Hawks. He also made the playoffs in 64 and 63, but he isn't really playing. He isn't starting. But in that stretch, 65 to 71, 41 minutes a game in the playoffs, 15 points, and 16 boards. So you have this really incredible rebounding defensive power forward. He makes two all-defensive teams uh, once that award is brought around. And that's kind of the case. Make the playoffs every year, grab a lot of rebounds. He has some nice playoff series. 1966 against Baltimore, 24 points, 19 rebounds. 67 Western Divisional Finals, I think it what it is, against the Warriors, 16 points, 19 boards. 69... Western Divisional Semis, I think that's what they used to call it. 19 points and 16 boards. So the, the effectiveness is there. 1970 against the Lakers, against the 1970 Lakers, 15 points and 17 boards. So rebounding. It's a rebounding case. The University of Kansas has a rebounding award named after him. Just to add to a little bit of the, the mystique of Bill Bridges is he was only like 6'6". So he's a small guy and just a, a masterful rebounder. Um, true undersized player. I don't I don't quite love it. Okay. Could you sneak him in a fit? Could you offer me a name and it could sneak Bridges in at 50? Well, so I, I have two very similar names, and one of them you've already said that you hate him. I'm not putting Anton Jameson in this list. I'm just not. I don't. You can go get empty stats somewhere else. So my empty stat for Antoine Jameson is the 2007 playoffs, where both Karan Butler and Gilbert Arenas are out, and the Wizards get swept by LeBron James and the Cavs. Like, not you're not expecting him to do anything else uh but jameson is 32 points 10 rebounds on like 55 percent true shooting it's it's like efficient numbers as his team just gets pummeled in around him from 2000 to 2011 so 11 season stretch he averages 20 points per game and eight rebounds and it's high volume on bad teams he gets like one brief stint with the mavs where he gets to come off the bench and that's like the one time he's a like efficient did you just uh, omit in 2007 when he averages all those points they get swept oh no i i said that he gets swept said by that? the Cavs. okay i forgot i guess i i missed that i just want to make sure we're being honest about about the results of uh oh no and like if we want to get even more honest about the results do you want to know how many games he wins in his first five seasons i have no idea Please tell me he wins 21 games 19 games 17 games 21 games and 38 games yeah, it's a I'm rough just, welcome I'm to the league. So I'm just so not interested. I started making a list of the top duos in NBA history, which is a hard list to make because duos are kind of a weird thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I just a little tier, a little section called "I can't believe an NBA team decided to build around this," and it was, one of them was Gilbert Arenas and Anton Jameson. Yeah, that's fair. The second guy who you could probably also put in that same tier is Antoine Walker, and the case for this is they make the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, but it's. Horrible East. <laughs> the East is terrible. East is terrible. It's terrible, but he is. He's an early adapter to the three point shot. 
Walker, I, I probably shouldn't give him too much praise for being an early adapter to the three-point shot because Walker was such a terrible shooter. Do you want to guess what his true shooting added was at the end of his career? I, I have no idea, but he, he never saw a shot he did not. No, no, he didn't. True shooting added, you know, is it's a measure of volume versus efficiency. On his career, it was negative 1,306. My goodness. Yeah. I have one more guy to offer up. My, okay. My final... My final offer of Chuck Robinson. And I'm not going to look at anything else except for 1978. 22 points a game, 15 boards, leads league in minutes, first team All-NBA. Just, I'm just going to leave that there. If that's worth more than what you've mentioned before, <sighs> no, they don't make the playoffs. But hey, it's still a lot of rebounds. He leads league in rebounds. All right. All right. For, this, for, this, for the Graham or the, okay. the talk, I would like to, to say, I think we need Antoine Walker here. Antoine Walker. And Yep. Antoine Walker. Okay. And I would like to put Horace Grant in here. You're just going to kick both my guys out? <laughs> Horace, Horace Grant, I had 52, so I'm interested. Walker, I had 60th. Grant actually had 55. Can we, can we have Julius You're throwing Rale? out Bill Bridges at 60. You're throwing out Truck Robinson at 66. Like, All right, final final nomination, Julius Randle. Fuck. <laughs> He's great this year. He has two seasons where he took his team to the playoffs. He's really awesome. Antoine Walker took a team... He didn't take it. Anton Walker didn't take a team anywhere. <laughs> He's playing with Paul right. Pierce. I think they made that for despite what Anton Anton Walker shot thirty nine percent from the field in that in that season. David West. I'm not taking David West over Julius Randall. Zach Randolph. What are your values, man? <laughs> it's either okay. Are we gonna go all like full defensive, tons of rebounds? This is our guy. Or at some point, I, I do want like Randall can be the best player on a team that actually like could win the amount of games. All right. I like Randall at 49. It's the Let's best option we have thus far. Let's go. Here's my number 52. So that, like okay. of the names that you've you've given me for the compromise, I think Randall is, is the next best. I find myself like you go back and forth, like almost alternating. All right, like low number one option, awesome or defensive guy, tangibles, bridges, Nedalicki, Enon kind of play. But I think Randall at 49 is good, but at number 50 is yours. I, I want to hear what you you're, just put someone there. Be happy. Antoine Walker. God damn it. <laughs> All right, fine. It's it's the history. It's it's the impact. It's you know, it, we do see him later get to play a smaller role in Miami and win a championship. Yeah, no, he does do that. My goodness, dude. His role in Miami, it's limited, but it is actually really impactful. You know, he has 13 points per game in the playoffs. That is a small role in, in comparison of everyone that we're talking about but you got to think like hey if if he got to be that third guy throughout his career as opposed to being horribly miscast as being the main guy what would that have been and i, I think it's actually really good i think he had a good skill set but just was the too much too soon generation he leads the league in three-point attempts for three straight years so that's got to count for something Attempts, attempts, Nate. Attempts. Are you sure yeah. you don't want? Are you sure you don't want Horace Grant? I, I would, I would love a Horace Grant number fifty. All right, fuck it. We'll do Horace Grant. All right, <laughs> I'm convinced you. But you're gonna have to. You know, next time we do this, when we do fifty-one through seventy-five, you're gonna have to hear me talk about Antoine Walker even more. You're just prolonging the inevitable. I will prolong that for as long as I can. I, if he's fifty-one, I'd be happy. Interesting names left off the board: Antoine Walker, of course, Charles Oakley. Mm-hmm. Anton Jameson, David West, we all talked about. Guys that we didn't mention almost at all. David Lee, Mar Odom, Otis Thorpe, Kenyon Martin, Shreve Abdul Rahim. 
headed blast. Antonio McDice? <laughs> I had that. I had Abdul Rahim last. I'm not. I refuse. What? Did he hurt your kings in some way? He played I mean, with the kings for a year, didn't he? I think he, so, but that's not it. It's just if I wanted a, a, someone to lead me to 21 wins, I could do. I could get anyone to do that. Josh Smith at 75. Uh, Aaron, the last time the Kings made the playoffs was with him as your best player. Be kind. As our best player? Eh, not your best, but a starter, a player, on the team, a contributor, something. He's just he's just kind of there. So if that's the thing, like what the what you're getting from uh, Abdul Rahim is. He could be 12 points and five boards on like a 40-something win team. He also could be 20 and 10 on the worst team in the league. No, he's good. He's great. We love Sharif Abdurrahim. Can you point at a, at a team that he played on that wasn't fucking horrible? Did all start no. for the 0-2 Hawks? They win 33 games? No, no. All, all the teams you play on are they're all, really They're bad. all terrible. They're all horrible. They're all really bad. They're, they're really bad. But we let Stefan Marbury get in on this, so you know. But Marbury, Marbury made the playoffs a few times. There's a level. Vin All right, Baker. I'm reading them off. Starting at 26, Bill Foulkes, Marie Stokes, Dennis Rodman, Tom Chambers, Larry Nance at 30, Dave DeBusher at 31, Milton Brand, Gus Johnson, Larry Johnson, Harry Gallatin, Terry Cummings, Bob Love, Bobby Jones, Derek Coleman, Buck Williams, Harry Keenan, Carlos Boozer, Rudy Tomjanovich, Pascal Siakam, 45 is Bob Nedelicki, and Rand- Dan- 36 is Dan Roundfield, Rashid Wallace, Silas, Julius Randle, and Horace motherfucking Grant, number 50. You know, we usually end this by saying it's a good list. <laughs> no, it's a, a disaster. <laughs> it's a disaster. <laughs> this is a blood crying list that just hurts. It's 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 something I feel good about it looking at it. Like I, I can see the progression of like good players to not as good players. But it's, it is, I think, in its core, it's a really weird position. Asked for mm-hmm. a lot of weird things. So rarely... I don't know, especially after, because we, like, we ended Maurice Lucas, and after that, like, that's that's a purely a second option, really, on title teams. Draymond Green at 23. We get into, like, just the, the sea of 18 points and 10 boards, and you're the third option. How do you, what do you make of it? I mean, if you look at, like, power forwards, there were, like, two distinctly different power forwards. There were the guys that you wanted to be your center, the guys that like you wanted to build your team around and have them be your offensive focal point, but they were too small. And so you need to have a center next to them. And they got classified as power forwards. And that's like kind of everyone from like Carl Malone to Elton Brand of these score first bigs. And then you had like your secondary guys that you'd play next to a good center. Your, you know, Charles Oakley's, your- Horace Grant. Horace, thank you. Horace Grant's. You're, you're like, hey, I can rebound. I could do dirty work. And so it was like either a failed scorer or a like great third option. And like that is that is power that is power forward history is those two tracks. That's well really well said. Either you are Dave DeBusher and you're doing all the dirty work, Dennis Rodman, or can you be a Terry Cummings, Derek Coleman kind of yeah. kind of guy. We almost yeah. should have just split this into two different positions and ranked all of the like top scoring in ones and then all of the like defensive guys. Because there's not too much crossover where I'm a great scorer and now I'm defense. It's it's you're one or the other. You're on one of those two tracks. Yeah, that and guy's we just Kevin Garnett. Yeah, we just call it the same position. Basically. All right, Nate. Good luck. Good? Enjoy the NCAA tournament today. Thank you. I think it's uh, I don't know who's playing. Mom, I, I, I knew earlier. It's, it's the people from the last time. Yeah, you'll figure it out when you get there. You saw Arizona lose. Hopefully, you'll see whoever beat them win again. See. Here's the upsets. Thank you.